Hey, Pulp fans. Thanks for your support. Whether you're subscribing to the podcast through iTunes, visiting PulpMX.com, streaming the show via the Stitcher app on your smartphone, or buying from our show sponsor, BTOsports.com, without you, we could not do this. You can still type M-A-T-T-H-E-S upon checkout at BTOsports.com if your order is $100 or more for a discount. Lastly, for some insider info and maybe a laugh or two, follow Mathis's Twitter updates at twitter.com slash pulpmx. episode of the Steve Mathis Show, there is a high chanceability. You will either learn something a lot of people don't know. You left thinking or make you say to yourself, dude, that's so funny. The bottom line is this podcast serves as archival documentation of this interview. Welcome to the BTOsports.com podcast show brought to you by Racer X, hosted by Steve Mathis. Welcome to the Racer X podcast show brought to you by BTOsports.com. Don't forget BTOsports.com, free international shipping, anything over $799. With that being said, I'm your host, Steve Mathis, as usual. With me on the line is, uh, is a guy that's been covering some motorcycle racing for a long, long time. The Obi-Wan Kenobi of moto journalism, let's call him. Kit Palmer of Cycle News. What's happening, Kit? Hey, oh man, you can imagine everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Busy time, I'll tell you. Yeah, but it's all been good. I don't know when I'm going to get this up, but as we do it, it's a couple of days before Anaheim won, which for guys like me and you is the time to uh, to be wide open, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is probably the busiest time of the year. Yeah. Uh, so what's going on? What's happening? Well, uh, we're just working on uh, on the new cycle news. Um, as you probably heard, uh, we were uh, the company was was bought yeah. uh, by the Mag Group, and basically we've kind of put things together, and um, and we're kind of bringing back uh, uh, Cycle News. It'll be a little bit different than before, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be a lot better. Yeah, no, it's it was a sad day when when you heard Cycle News, the the newspaper was folding up. I mean, it had just been there forever. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm 36 and. Yeah, I don't even remember my life without Cycle News, you know what I mean? Uh, and even being in Canada, like, it was the only place to get the news of the day. I mean, this was before the Internet, before all these magazines, before all of that. So um, yeah. I'm cu- how long were you at Cycle News for? Or are you now the, the reburned, I guess, how long have you been at Cycle News for? <laughs> well, I started in, uh, in 1983. 83? Right. Yeah. yeah. I started uh, I started in – actually, I started basically on my birthday – <laughs> um, of 1983, and uh, it was uh, August, mm-hmm. and uh, so. But I actually was a contributor for them for uh, quite a few years, even before that. So I guess mm-hmm. I've been with them quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, really. And then so the new launch of Cycle News. I don't know how much you want to reveal on the show or not, but it's coming up, 
and it, you've got the online thing going right now, an online site where there's interviews and news posted and all that. Some exciting changes in the future coming up, right? Exactly. Yeah, you can say that. I mean, it's. I think it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be good. We're going to be. Um, uh, it'll be quite a bit uh, different. I think we're going to be. Uh, um, it's going to be more of a digital magazine now. Yeah. Uh, it won't be so much, you know, in your in your hands. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of people like that. I like that. But I think when um, I think digital is just the way the future is. And uh, when you're a, a news-based company or a news-based media outlet. Uh, you have to be quick. Uh, things are out there instantly now with the internet, and the only way to to keep up with that is you need to be, um, you know, basically electronic. And uh, basically, that's how we're going to go. And there's so many advantages in that. Um, I think it's going to be really exciting. Uh, same editor, Paul Carruthers. Yep. Same. Yep. Same. Yep. Yep. So Paul, a lot of Paul, the staff Paul, still there. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Paul uh, will still be the editor. And um, I'll still be the uh, off-road editor. Mm -hmm. And obviously we've kind of had to streamline the staff a little bit. So right now it's just Paul and I. But we'll still be using many of the people that were even on staff before, right. and especially our, uh, our contributors. You know, we have some fantastic contributors out there that we've used for, for a long, long time. And without them, I mean, Cycle News wouldn't be uh, what it was and what it will mm -hmm. be. Um, so... Pretty much everybody is still on board that's helped us out before, and uh, you'll so you'll see a lot of the familiar names in the bylines. You know what's funny is I've written so many stories um, for magazines and, and websites. I, I've lost I lost track. I, I don't really keep them anymore. Um, but there's a few things I have kept, and that's and that's the first time I was in motocross action because you know it's just motocross action, and I've kept every issue of Cycle News that I wrote the back page for back page editorial column because right. i mean right. i grew up reading that back page you know and i'm not a road race guy so i was always like oh it's about road race this week but when it wasn't about road race um you know i just grew up reading and it was awesome and i couldn't believe it was so cool that i was that back page now <laughs> you know what i mean like just because yeah. it was just iconic cycle news i just was so so pumped so i have those issues that's something i've kept over the years and that should tell you you know how much cycle news means to people you know yeah, I, I know how you feel because I was uh, I was the same way too. Even before I worked on the on staff, and even when I was on, even when I am on staff, it's funny because uh, when uh, obviously you know getting your name in Cycle News was always a, kind of a neat deal, and uh, like in the results when you're at the races, right, right. and that was the you know that was really exciting for me before I worked on staff. And the funny thing is now it's even then, you know my my name's in there a lot because of being on staff, but I get excited the most when i see it in the results section even to this day <laughs> you know yeah. like if i finish fifth at a race or something i'm like oh man all right i get my name in cycle news this week and that actually gets me really excited you know and uh so is, i know exactly how you feel it's part of the changeover do you still have all the archives do you still get to keep all that the new cycle yes, news that was really yeah. important for us we I should really get, i should we, get you to to go back in because i exactly my name appeared one time, because obviously being Canadian, I didn't race too much in, in America, but my name appeared at a GFI Paris Raceway race um, before the season started one time. And, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know that. I know the same feeling. And, uh, yeah, you'll have to come down here and, and uh, find that issue. Oh, yeah. We've no. got them all. We've so, got, yeah. uh, we, that was one of the, uh, the important things about the acquisition of the new Cycle News was mm -hmm. uh, to handle uh, to get you know, all the archives and we have a lot of the old photos, you know, that we've had that we, you know, we've gathered up over the yeah. over the many years, and so uh, so that that's 
that was the important thing that we got from uh, from the old cycle news. I uh, I just might take you up on that one day, Kit. You shouldn't offer that because I just might actually come down there one day and just spend. A well, day. <laughs> I was going to say you better when you do just plan on being here for a really long time because a lot of times you you go in there looking for one specific thing, right? And you'll get so sidetracked, you'll be sidetracked for <laughs> for the whole day, and then at the end of the day you'll realize, oh, what did I come in here looking for? When did and it And you'll start? go and look for it, and then you'll still take forever. It, there's so much stuff in there that you yeah. uh, we look back and you forget about, and you read and you want to read it again in the old photos. It's mm-hmm. just amazing how entertaining it is. What happened? When did when did Cycle News start? Um, like, do you, do you I'm really know? bad with numbers and, and some of that, but it was uh, I believe it was like in the mid '60s. Mid '60s, okay. And it, wow. and it wasn't. It yeah. was uh, it was called something else. I think there was. Uh, Dixie cycle back then, and, and then I think there was even a, a biker version of it. And then the actual first cycle news, when it was called cycle news, uh, I believe it was in the in the mid '60s. Yeah, right now. And all that's categorized and archived. Yep. Jeez. Yep. Uh, yeah, it sure is. Uh, uh, obviously, being there since '83, you, you've seen the rise of cycle news and and the downside, the fall of cycle news. Um, sort of the new age internet era, new magazines, new competition. As much detail as you want to go into, what happened to Cycle News to make it fail? What happened? Well, I think it was just a, it's, it was a combination just of a lot of, lot of things. Um, you know, there just a lot. <laughs> there was just the way uh, magazines are being printed and the way they're just put together. There's obviously the internet and, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, there was a lot of things. Um, I... Uh, um, Obviously, the the economy kind of hurt us right. a lot, and I think you know it's hurt a lot of people, but it's hurt the print industry in general. Um, I'm sure we all have seen that, not just in the motorcycle industry, but yeah, in the in industry general. everywhere. It's just it uh, it just hurt it hurt everybody really hard. And the problem with print is it's very expensive to produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, printing just printing uh, costs are are very high, and the shipping costs. And when you're doing that every single week, um, it adds up, and then when things start, you know, not going uh, going well as far as uh, you know, advertising dropped off a little bit, like it has with everybody. Uh, it was just it was just got to the point where um, it just it was getting too expensive to produce every single week. And uh, you know, there's some other things, you know, uh, um, you know, just just that's hard to explain. But there was just a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. And um, I. I I think the uh, old cycle news probably could have maybe made changes quicker to follow the way the new trends were uh, as far as when it comes to producing things and this and that. Maybe uh, we weren't quick enough on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was just a combination of things. But the, the bottom line, it, it just got very, very expensive to produce. Yeah, yeah. And doing it every, every, every week, every Monday, um, just finally caught up to it. And uh, and so basically, by it shutting down, we're able to kind of regroup, and and we're gonna you know come back completely different, and mm-hmm. we're gonna be able to to do it to where uh, it, it, it'll we can produce it, we can it'll be uh, affordable to produce, and I think it'll be even better than it was. So I think all that will come together, and it'll be very good. Yeah, but it, it's really hard to put put a, a just single out one thing. Right, right. On why it didn't, um, and. Um, so in your in your estimation, you were there for what was the heyday of cyclones? When were you? When was it the most financially profitable? The most subscriptions? Like when was there an era where it was just just you couldn't sell ads fast enough? Well, I think I, I think it, there's probably a couple times where it was mm-hmm. really strong. I think obviously in the '70s it was really strong. Yep. Um, I think that was that was really big there. 
Um, and then I believe in the early 80s, uh, kind of tapered off a little bit again. Um, and then I think from about the mid-90s, uh, it got really strong again in about, you know, the early 2000. Um, right. It was, you know, advertising was really strong back then. So I, I, I would think definitely in the 70s and then in more modern time, I would think uh, late 90s to the early 2000s, you know, right around about mm-hmm. 2000 through 2005 or so, it was really strong. Yeah, yeah. And then when it did, when it, everything did start happening negatively, it, it, it happened very fast. <laughs> it was just all wow. of a sudden, boom, everything was was gone, and all of a sudden, well, you know, we're all expecting everything to get better and better and better, and it, it really never did, and only seemed to kind of get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And, wow. and uh, so all the, it came to that point where, hey, something had to be done, and something had to change, and, and it has. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think if you look at, I mean, I think if you look at every magazine, including the Racer X, which is the Racer X podcast, they've all gotten a little thinner over the years, some more so than others. Uh, it's just the tough economic times right now. I mean, the, the, hopefully we're turning it around. I think we see some some uh, aspects of it turning around. I'm certainly no economic expert, but uh, it's affected every motorcycle, race team, rider, magazine, aftermarket company, bike sales, OEM, you name it, huh? Absolutely, and it's like everybody I've talked to, or, or so many people I've talked to, um, in different positions within the industry, and it was everybody was kind of unanimous about. Everybody says, "Well, about fifty percent, everything's off fifty percent." Oh, uh-huh. No matter what they were, whether it was a photographer, or a magazine, uh, a company, an aftermarket company, it just seemed like it was like fifty percent was the, the number, and that's <laughs> right. that's huge. And you know, we all were feeling that. All of us were, and. Uh, Anyway, so hopefully yeah. we have hit the bottom and, and we're bouncing back right now, which I, I it, you know, I see those signs, but again, I'm like you, I'm not, a, <laughs> I thought we were kind of bouncing back again a little while ago and right. it turned out it wasn't, but maybe this is the real one. So we'll see what happens. Um, how did you get your start in moto journalism or just journalism in general? How did that <laughs> By <happen>? accident. <laughs> like me too. I was, I was done being a mechanic and I needed to do something. <laughs> well, you, you picked a good thing to do, actually. It's a lot of fun, but uh, it was all, it was all by, uh, um, it was all kind of by accident, to be honest with you. Um, I, when I was in high school, in junior high school, uh, you know, I just got into it. You know, got into riding bikes. My family rode bikes. My my older brother rode bikes, so I got into it, and I started racing. And then, um, basically, um, a old good friend of mine was uh, Ron Lawson, who's now the like editor of Dirt Bike Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, we were just you know, going out to the races every Friday night and, and Sunday and Corona and Danza and Saddleback and all that. And uh, he he was contributing for Cycle News, and then when he moved on to the magazines, I kind of took over his 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 route, I guess, and I started contributing for Cycle News in, um, at Corona Raceway, Danza Cycle Park, and uh, and all around. And then I was doing that for a while, and it was nice because the, the the promoters of the the racetrack would pay me you know ten bucks mm-hmm. to to go. They would also give me free entry into the track, free entry to race, and then like I said, at the end of the night or in the end of the day, they'd give me another twenty dollars, and that was my you know my pizza money for the after the races <laughs> and stuff. And um, and then Cycle News would pay me uh, a little bit, and so I'd get a check from there every, every once a, or uh, once a month. So it was kind of like racing for free, really. And then um, I. All I had to do was save up enough money to buy a new bike every year. So mm-hmm. I was doing that for a while. And then uh, one day, uh, Dale Brown called me. He was the editor of Cycle News uh, West back then. 
And uh, he said, hey, we have a position opening up. Would you be interested in being, you know, uh, one of our editors? I'm like, well, yeah, I don't write. I'm not, I'm not much of a writer. And, you know, I, I uh, write her. So I said, well, what the heck? So I went down there, and then uh, he hired me. And I just said, well, I'll, I'll just give it a try and see, see what I can do. And I've been there ever since. So I, and I had a little bit of, uh, you know, knowledge of the sport because I kind of grew up with it. So I knew about bikes. I could take photos. I was pretty good. With, I was okay with the camera. And I could ride bikes pretty well. So I kind of had all that. My hardest part was writing. <laughs> but I figured, out oh, I'll learn that on the job. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I've kind of been there ever since. I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, does, it, does, it, does it get old for you at all? Because I know you don't go to every race anymore. And uh, but you know all this hype about James Stewart and Chad Reed and, and Don Dungey coming into this weekend, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there before. I remember when Hannah and Bailey and O'Mara were going at it and were the big preseason favorites. Like, does it? Does you do you have a good perspective on it, or do you do you you know do you still get excited for the races and get excited for what can happen? No, I still get very excited about the racing and stuff. Mm-hmm. That has never gotten old. Um, the the industry the racing has never gotten old i mean i love the racing when it gets down to it, it the racing is what matters to me the most i mean all the hype and all that fun you know all that stuff is mm-hmm. fun too but to me it's just the racing i love the racing i never get tired of it whether it's supercross motor, motocross enduros hair and hounds i just i i very very much enjoy the racing part of it so that has never ever gotten old and so uh, I, it never yeah. will uh traveling gets a little to be a little bit old that's yeah. the only thing that gets old and that's the one thing is some of it's gotten easier over the years while some things have gotten harder and uh that's the only thing that that gets a little bit tough is the traveling the but traveling. the actual racing and stuff and, and a lot of the hype and stuff that that's not doesn't get very old how many years of doing like pretty much every uh, supercross motocross did you do uh how, what was that again how, every how many years year, like how many years in a row did you do every oh. supercross motocross race or, or most of them well i never did like every single one of them but i have i uh, i would say when i started through the 80s and through uh at least the mid 90s to the late 90s i was covering a lot of them um when i first started we had the east cycle news and the west cycle news mm-hmm. and then so when they were in the east coast we had the the east staff cover them and then we had the west staff so that broke it up a little bit but back then, I also had to cover, I did cover, like, every Transcal race and every Golden State race. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and those are every week, and, right. and that went on for a long time, and then Supercross would start up. So it, it was pretty busy. But I never really had to go to every single one of them, like, all year long. But I've had to go quite a few um, in the, uh, you know, the first half of, I guess, my career at Cycle News. And the second half, things have changed a little bit. We're able to use more contributors. And, and then with, uh, you know, with email and then digital uh, photography now, that made things a lot easier to get mm-hmm. stories from the East Coast to the West Coast and vice versa. Right. So that, that made it so we can start using more contributors so we didn't have to travel as much, and that kept our cost down a little bit. We didn't have to, to pay to fly around as much. Yeah, yeah, but, oh, man, that's, uh, that's, um, that's gnarly. That's the... And like you said... Uh, Okay, so so Cycle News, you know, we've, we, we're in this digital age now, but Cycle News comes out on Tuesday, right? It did come it came out on Tuesday every every week. Right. So right. Nationals are on a Sunday. So how <laughs> yep. do you get your story done at two Cycle News in time for print? I, I have no idea how that happened. How the, well, it was re- well, it was really hard um, before the digital age, and in a way, it still uh, is hard because. Uh, you can do more stuff. So you wind up being just as busy. It's just that you're producing more now than you were back then. But back, back then it was really tough. Um, when, when the races were on a Sunday, you know, now they're on Saturdays, but when they were on Sundays, 
uh, those are really hard, uh, especially when it was just the West office. Say I would fly out, uh, you'd say you'd fly to the race on a Friday or you fly all day Friday, then Saturday maybe you go to the track, you know, figure things out. But then on race day, you're up early, and then with the time change, say if you're going from the West Coast to the East Coast, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you, you get up and you're already tired. And then you're up all day at the race, and the, the Nationals, it, it can be hot, it can be, you know, dusty, and, you know, you're just sweating all day. You know, it's, it's a long day sometimes. And then... Um, there's, no media the race, tents back, there's no media tents back then with water. There were no media <laughs> tents. There was no water. There wasn't food. Yeah. Uh, it was just you just showed up. Right. And then at the end of the day, it was a fight just to get the results. You know, I mean, you literally would get the tear sheets from the AMA, and then they would actually hand you the last carbon copy of their of their results sheets, just like the same sheets you would see on the, pasted on the side of the wooden board when you were really? looking at your yeah. own results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would have to pull those down. And then you have a stack of results in your hand, and then you had to really beeline it to the uh, to the airports. You know, wherever wherever, wherever you were, usually uh-huh. you're out you know out in the country a little bit, so right. it takes a while to get to the airport. And you had to get on your your catch your flight, and now you, you're probably even it's nine or ten or even eleven o'clock. And then uh, we go to print the next morning, so you're on the airplane typing away your story. So most of your stories back then especially back then, were all written on airplanes. <laughs> At wow. least a lot of them were. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you were literally, you know, the whole airplane's asleep, you know, and then there's this one light in the middle of the airplane, and that would be like me or Paul or, or somebody typing away, doing our stories. Dude, well, how you would know, you we, have a typewriter on the airplane? Or you mean writing? Well, back then, we sometimes were able to, we, I don't know if you ever remember, but like there were like these small brother uh uh, typewriters, the little tiny electronic ones, and you yeah. could only see like maybe ten characters before the <laughs> character would go off, and then all of a sudden, uh, so you'd only see a little bit. So anyway, you could do that; that yeah. would help, or you would actually write it on on hand, maybe mm-hmm. on paper or something like that. So when you did get back to the office, you can kind of type it up quicker. Yeah. But yeah. most of the stuff's were written on the airplane. Maybe uh-huh. you got back at midnight. A lot of times, you went straight to the office. Really. And you'd show up at one o'clock in the morning, write your story, and then and then. Maybe people start, your other editors would start showing up around 6 in the morning, and they would edit your stuff, and then it was a long process to get it through. So you were up forever, and you didn't get any sleep. It was kind of tough. And that was every week, <laughs> and that was every week. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Damn. Really? That was, that was, that was, those days, those were really tough. It's still kind of tough now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's because you're doing more. I mean, we didn't, we were only filling maybe two pages back then. We're like, cycling is, Towards the end there, with the print edition, we were doing five or six pages. Mm-hmm. So if we were only doing two pages, it would have been a lot easier in the new new day. But since it was easier, you're adding more and more and more stuff. So you're just as busy as you were even back then, but yeah. you're just producing yeah. more. Yeah, you're just doing more. Just technology has allowed you to do more. Right. That's uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you're it, typing it, it out. It was really tough. I mean, it was looking at like, these carbon sheets, trying to see is that a four or a nine? Exactly. <laughs> it was exactly that way. And you could well, there's to, you know, how could he finish fourth? And he finished fourth that same moto, and you had to figure it out, and you had to add up the points. And, right. Because sometimes you only they would tally up only maybe the top 15 overall, and, you know, there's 40 riders, so a lot mm-hmm. of times you had to kind of figure out the, the moto scores and the points yourself and add them all up. Yeah, jeez. And then, and then you yeah. have to go get quotes from riders, I guess, too, right? You chase them down. Yeah. Yeah, that was always real important. It was always trying to get, you know, those, you know, get the quotes from people and, mm-hmm. and try to get, uh, get, get the story in their own words and that was always really you know that that was always really important but usually you know we you could go as 
up until the last second before you think you could catch your flight, and then you just have to, <laughs> to take off. So that's, you know, depending on how many quotes you can get was kind of dependent on when your flight was. <laughs> right, right, right. To get back. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And like you said, you're just standing out in this uh, in this field, you know what I mean, trying to make notes and trying to... Oh. Yeah, absolutely. And you didn't even have, you know, well, uh, we had tape recorders back then, but most of the stuff was just handwriting. And you just kind of write down your quotes real quick as they talk. And, mm-hmm. and you could be doing that in the rain or you could be doing that in, you know, the heat and stuff. So <laughs> the Nationals were pretty tough. Those were, like, those were physically the hardest ones to cover. And then yeah. Supercross, at least you had the Sunday to, to, to travel back. So you had a little bit more time. Um, but uh, those are still hard. Even even today, they're still kind of tough. So, uh, um, what do you think of the spectacle that Supercross and Motocross has become now? Like, from its early beginnings, you know, in the in the early '80s to to what we have now, which is you know f- uh, more of a show, and and uh, tracks are definitely changed. What's your thoughts on just the way the sport has changed over the years, good and bad? Well, I think most of it's been good, and uh, I think when the bottom line is, I, I think the excitement is still the same. Uh, I think it, it, I don't the, the just excitement even back then and 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 now it's 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 pretty much the same. Yeah, a lot of the tracks are changed. You know, you're on uh, they're on four strokes now versus the two strokes and all that. And but the bottom line is when you're when that gate drops. And you're watching all those guys head into the first turn. It's just as exciting now as it was then. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of. There's always been big crowds, basically, for Supercross races, just like there are now. I mean, they're bigger now, but they they still were pretty big back then. So I think that the the energy and the excitement is is to me is still the same. Um, you know, whether it's better or worse. I mean, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say when you're still filling up you know the stadiums, um, but. Uh, you know, I personally I like watching uh, when it was two strokes a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just feel like I I just feel like the racing was a little closer sometimes, and I uh, and I like the sound of the bikes a little bit better. I like I like the bikes revving out more, and uh, hearing that. Uh, I think the four strokes have just made it error free now. They're so fast, they're so good. The guys can come around the turn, make a mistake, and jump four still. You know, um, right, where two-stroke exactly. days, like, if you didn't hit your shift points, you had to back it down and, and triple instead of quad, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, mistakes were, were a little bit bigger on, mm-hmm. on the two-strokes and stuff like that. So you, so you had to, uh, you know, had to be a little bit more careful. But I just like the fact that the bikes were revving out more. And uh, even sometimes even when the race met, might be kind of boring, it, it still sounded good. It still sounded exciting. Um, right. I'm not saying that two strokes are better or four strokes are yeah, yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, obviously the the bikes are fantastic right now, and 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 they're better bikes. But in certain areas, but just the watching of the races, I really enjoy. I really miss the two stroke part of it. That's, yeah. that's probably the only thing I really miss. And after all these years, is just uh, the two stroke side. Yeah, the the tuning of them too has kind of gone away. A guy can put a pipe on a four stroke, a four fifty four stroke, and you know, pretty much be pretty good. Um, Whereas the works bikes back in the day were probably, you know, so much better and they were an advantage, but they were also super cool to, to, to cover as a media guy and who did what to their bikes and, you know. Yeah. Um, what did you, what, of all the races you've done, and I mean, good God, there's been so many. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's a few that stick out in your mind as being great races, memorable races, on-track drama, off-track drama? There, um, what, it's, it's. 
it's funny because, I mean, there's been so many good races. I mean, there's been some real popular ones. I mean, ones we don't, you know, we always remember the Bailey and Johnson Anaheim one and all, a lot of these other races. But there's one race that stuck out in my mind that I don't think anybody will remember, and it was probably not even a race that maybe even the guys in the race would even remember. Right. But it was one race that just really stood out in my mind was, uh, I don't remember the exact details, but I know it was Hangtown. Um, it was, I don't know, it was really, really hot, one of those really hot days at Hangtown. Uh-huh. And uh, if I remember right, it was both motos was just a duel between Jeff Stanton and Damon Bradshaw. And so like 91, either one of the, 91. Um, yeah. It would have been early 90s. Yeah. Yeah, right about then. It was still when uh, Bradshaw was kind of in his heyday on the Yamaha and, and, and Stanton was there on the, on the Honda. And neither one of those guys are what I would call finesse riders. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're more both of them are kind of bulldog kind of riders and just kind of hammer through things. And I just always remember those guys battling. I think it was both motos battling for the lead. They were always within you know a few bike length bike lengths of each other. The track was really rough, really potholed out. It mm-hmm. was dusty, and those guys were hammering it so hard, just slamming through holes and slamming through the ruts going back and forth, both of them just bouncing off things, no finesse whatsoever, just hammered <laughs> it really hard in both motos. Pushing and each other, yeah, just pushing each other. It, it yeah. just didn't look like it was any fun. <laughs> you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, sometimes <laughs> tracks, you can tell you're having fun with big loamy berms and nice smooth, uh, or not smooth, but just nice rhythm around the track. Well, this, it just didn't seem like this track had any of that, and they were just hammering it out. Anyway, it was just... but. It, and just seeing those guys do that, and, and of course, I really enjoyed watching Bradshaw, and I enjoyed watching uh, Stanton back then. And mm-hmm. those were just some of the races, one of the races. For some reason, that's, that was the race that stand out, stood out in my mind. Yeah, and I think and a lot of the other good ones, I, I think great battles were the, uh, the Stewart and Carmichael battles. I always thought those were really good. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Also, too, like, you watch some old Nationals on, on VHS, and, and there wasn't a lot of track prep, like you said. Just... <laughs> Whole oh. and dusty, and like today's riders would probably quit. <laughs> I, exactly, <laughs> you know, it's definitely. But these guys, you know, I mean, back then, you know, like, like I said, that track was just hammered that day, and they just didn't give up, mm-hmm. and I, and they just gave it everything they had in both motors. And it was another one of those. It was probably 105 or something like that yeah. that day. Yeah. And and watching those guys do what they were doing was was something else. But you know. Um, like, and then, like I said, like the the Stewart and Carmichael races were all always good. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> it, no, it, those were, those were always really good battles. Yeah, that out, one outdoor season, man, it was just on. You know, between those two. Um, what about uh, Vegas '95 when the lights went out? Were you there? Yeah, it was. A, I was that. Of course I was you were. There. Of course you were. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what was that like? What was the drama uh, of that going going on? I mean, you had the the AMA and the air thing or some sort of sanctioning body and the riders were unhappy the lights were off riders and referees were upset talk about that yeah, yeah. well you you pretty much you know nailed it right there i mean that's all that stuff was going on and then everybody was thinking oh, oh, oh this was done on purpose you know there was something that was going on um i mean i don't know ever know i don't know if that was for sure if that's really what happened if mm-hmm. whether that was planned and, and somebody did that i don't know it was hard to say, but um, I just thought it was it was pretty amazing, you know, what had happened. I mean, just you're just what what is going on here? Right. And uh, I think did uh, was that the one that 
Jeff won that, didn't yeah. he? Emig? Yep. Emig yeah. Yep. And that was his first win, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah. Yeah, and then so he took. I think he took a little bit of a hit for for that race, for going out and racing anyway, and all that. And it was a, it was an interesting night, that's for sure. Sometimes I forget about that one, but that one uh, that one was definitely an interesting night. Yeah, I just I, I could imagine the drama running around there. You know what I mean? And you're a media guy trying to cover the story. You know, um, from all sides. Well, yeah, and then I remember. I think there was uh, what is it? The week later, during the week, there was a. Uh, uh, there was something going around about it was a handwritten note that somebody had wrote and about that it was going to happen and this and that and people were saying oh this guy wrote it or this guy wrote it but yeah. nobody ever knew and we don't know if that note was written before or after or what and so I do kind of remember a little bit about that drama. Hey everybody, this is Steve Mathis. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for reading everything I do as well as listening to the other shows. I know it's a lot of crap. One of the reasons I'm able to put out a lot of crap is because people are paying me. And then one of the things that you guys need to do to help support my crap is by buying crap from these sponsors. So listen to the commercial. It's a lot of crap. See ya. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off. Or Smith Piston Goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at btosports.com. Racing since 1970, O'Neill is the original American MX company supplying fine apparel, protection, and accessories for over four decades. O'Neill is proud to support top racers worldwide, including the Moto Concepts Yamaha Racing Team in the U.S. Supercross and Outdoor National Series. In 2010, O'Neill worked with top racing professionals, including Grant Langston, Tim Ferry, and Ricky Dietrich, in developing its all-new 2011 line. O'Neill's hardware line is the toughest money can buy and has been critically acclaimed for durability, fit, form, and function by Motocross Action Magazine. Hardware pants and jerseys are designed to function while putting you ahead of the pack in fast-forward fashion. When it's time to gear up, check out O'Neill.com or an authorized O'Neill dealer near you. As, as a guy now in the media, I've gotten myself in some hot water with riders here and there. For voicing my opinion or, you know, talking about um, maybe there's some subpar performances or whatever in my eyes. What, uh, what's the, have you had any of that over the years? Have you had some problems with riders where you've been, had to, you know, sit down and be like, hey, this is why I wrote this and yeah, had any of that go on? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. you catch that, but I, I don't worry about that too much as long as I know um, it's, you, as long as you're being truthful about it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're not, trying to stretch it or and not trying to make it more than what it really was but if you if you were if you present both sides of the story and um i feel like if if you are maybe it's a negative i don't want to say twist but if it's something negative about a writer and i think the writer will know if it's true or not mm -hmm. if you blow it out of proportion then you know then i could see how maybe a, a writer or somebody might get a little upset about it uh, but the bottom line is just do, you know, if you just do the news, you get both sides of the story. And if you're being factual, then usually they don't get mad at you. Mm -hmm. they, get, they usually will get mad at you if, if you kind of blow it out of proportion and maybe you're kind of stretching things and maybe assuming something and, and this and that. And they might get upset. But um, if, you know, so I always try to be, you know, really fair. 
mm-hmm. and uh, and every now and then somebody might get upset, and and uh, you know usually we they'll talk to me about it, and I'll talk to them about it, and most of the times we'll clear it up, and then we go about our business, and everything's good. But I don't think I've had anything really bad with anybody for a long, or where they maybe where where they maybe held a ju- uh, grudge for a long time. Yeah, do you have any examples but, though of of a couple guys that you had to iron things out with um, over the years? That's a good question. I, I don't, man, I can't think of anything right now off the top of my head. Um, what about officials or AMA or anybody like that? Um, have you had any run-ins with those guys over, over voicing an opinion uh, one way or another? Um, sometimes, yeah. You know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, nothing super major. You know, you might get somebody that, Again, that not happy what you wrote about, or mm-hmm. and again you go through it and you explain yourself why you know why it was said, and then that and then they'll, they'll say their side of their point of view, and you know what if they have a good point of view maybe you know we'll we'll talk about it again and or and print something else about it and mm-hmm. give them their opportunity to, but but I think even if somebody does get you know kind of get mad with you everybody still works together, and I don't think I really had anybody that was just I couldn't work with because of something I wrote or. Or, or something somebody at Cycle News had written. Um, and, you know, some people have said they're just pleasure, but they continue to go about and do their business, and we've always been able to work things right, right, out. Right, right. But I don't really have anything that really just stands out in my mind about one person, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite guys to deal with over the years, favorite riders or industry people or, you know, somebody that uh, would help you out if you needed a quote during the week or what? You know, just who are some of the great riders that you've had to deal with? Oh, there's been quite a few of them. Um, Anybody stands out? I though? really, really like. I really, really liked uh, interviewing and talking to Bob Hanna. Um, he was he was really. I liked working with him because he was really truthful and mm-hmm. stuff. And and uh, so I really liked working with him. Uh, man, you know, guys like Guy Cooper that just are great quotes. They they love to talk and they have great quotes. Uh, um, let's see who else. I really Carmichael was always a great guy to work with, um, considering how obviously how popular he got. He was always always uh, accessible, and uh, he was really really good to work with. Uh, McGrath was really really good to work with. Yeah. he's another guy that you know, after the race Langston he would too, be yeah. surrounded by people mm-hmm. wanting his autograph, and then you know he he would see me in a crowd. I mean he knows I got a job to do, and yeah. he would just he would go, oh yeah, come on up. And he would stop what he was doing. He would say, "Hey, I'll be right back." And we'd go in there, do our thing, do our little interview. And I would always try to tell him, "Hey, this is only going to take two minutes. I don't want to take much of your time." And he was always, always gave me his time. And then he would go back and do his autograph. So right. Jeremy was was really, really good at that. Yeah. yeah. And, and most of them were. Some of them were a little more difficult, but yeah. most of them were really good. Uh, some, give me some of the more difficult ones. Um, Come on, kid. I don't know if I want to say difficult, but okay. uh, like, like. Like I, I was felt intimidated a, by Jeff Stanton. Stanton. You know, he 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 has that. Uh, he he was kind of intimidating, and I I felt a little uncomfortable around him sometimes. Um, you know what's so, funny about Stanton is I asked him. I agree because I asked him for an autograph a couple times, and he was kind of a jerk to me. And uh, mm-hmm. as a kid, you know, and then but now like. He's like one of the coolest guys in the industry. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. After he retired, I, he just got he lost that. Uh, that seriousness or whatever it was, and all of a sudden he's a great guy. 
So, so yeah, I think way. that was his, his that was his race mode, his race face, and I think he was so intense about racing, whether he was on the track or it was during the week or off the track or whatever. It was racing, racing, racing. That was his. That was how he was. Right. And the first time I saw that disappear was that year he won the Supercross at LA Coliseum when mm-hmm. when Bradshaw. Um, kind of had his, his, when he kind of faded there, I guess melted down a little bit in that last race and lost the championship, and Stan won the championship that one. After that race, you know, I saw a Stan I'd never seen before. He oh, was yeah, just yeah, happy. Yeah. <laughs> he was super talkative. And, I mean, I've seen a lot of guys win championships, and they're, and they're still pretty businesslike. Right. But when he won that one, I mean, he, it was like, wow, he won his first race ever. And uh, it was like, wow, that was a side of Jeff I'd never seen before. And then I realized, you know what? He's he's a good guy too. It's just like this is his 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 uh, race uh, his face was always on before that, and then it came off that night, and it was kind of like okay, Jeff's one of us, you know, he's a good guy. And then, yeah. like you said, after he retired, it was like he relaxed and he became one of just like the, one of the coolest guys in the industry. Uh-huh. And Hannah never like uh, was never grouchy or nothing, or like I always thought he was grouchy with people and and all that, but no, not at all. Um, I could see that, but I. I don't know. I I really like. I don't know. We got along, I guess, or something. But right. um, he he was he was always a fun interview. Um, he I was he I always was. Ex- um, he always let me uh, talk to him, and I never had a problems getting in touch with him. And even to this this day, you know, I see him, and it's mm-hmm. it's good to see him. He's real friendly and stuff. So I I really enjoyed him, and uh, I mean, it, you know, some of those guys, you know, especially when I was first starting, was it was. It was really intimidating. For you know, sure, here was yeah. I, you know, this new guy. But the first guy that really made it kind of opened the gates for me and just kind of like, okay, I can interview these guys. Um, you know, it was, it was one of my first few races, and, and I've never really met anybody like a superstar. But mm-hmm. the first guy that really did it for me was uh, Danny Chandler. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Magoo, yeah. I was covering, I, I just started really going to all the Transcal and Golden State races. And he was with Honda at that time, and uh, he he'd won. I think it was up at Santa Maria or something like that. I can't remember which one. I think it was Santa Maria. Mm-hmm. And he had won, and it was like, okay, i got to get my interview with him. And I'm like, oh, man, this is Danny Magoo Chandler. I mean, wow, this guy's a superstar, and here I am, this, you know, this new reporter. And I was really nervous about going up there and interviewing him. And I remember going to the back of his uh, box van, you know, because back then we were all, I mean, everybody was working out of box vans. And he was just sitting there. He saw me. He could tell me I was, he could tell I was nervous. He goes, oh, Dan, come on up, come on up, let's talk. Uh-huh. So I just kind of, well, I was out race. And he was just, you know, he'd tell me all about it. And uh-huh. it was that that kind of broke the ice for me for, you know, he kind of broke the ice for everybody after that. Right, right, right. So he, he was the first guy that really helped me out a lot and got my confidence going. Yeah, that you could actually uh, actually talk to these guys and like really do a story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember like you know like when I first met Ron Lachine when he was uh, on the Yamaha when he first got up, he was yeah. kind of intimidating. I had a hard time getting interviews with him I mean, because like he was kind of new. He was like sixteen, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly, and I was like, oh no. Yeah. And uh, well, he was younger, obviously, than me at the time, but right. I was. Uh, it was. He was pretty intimidating too at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. And he was the one that really opened the door for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we've all written that thing that we regret or that we maybe we should have slept on or maybe we should have, um, you know, not put out there. What What's Kit Palmer's uh, error, fait accompli, let's mm. call it? What's something that you were like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I gave it to that guy a little too hard or, you know, you got a little too much flack from it yeah. from somebody? 
No, I know that that's happened. Uh, but the specific, you know, like again, to make something specific, I can't quite remember anything specific. I mean, there's been a, a, quite a few, like, eh, maybe I should have, mm-hmm. like you said, toned that down a little bit, or maybe that wasn't. But right. again, I always kind of felt like I was fair with everybody. I can't, re- you know, I can't, I can't really remember anything in specific. Maybe you do. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing about you. No, nothing that, nothing that I can. No, I mean, of, maybe oh. that I wrote, like, ooh, man, he attacked him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. No, you're you're a pretty uh, uh, pretty fair guy. I think uh, I I could probably learn something from you as far as backing off, but um, maybe I'm just young and dumb. But uh, <laughs> um, hey, what do you think about the uh, uh, the the rule changes over the years? I had production bikes to work bikes. Um, you know, when you were doing it, it was 125, 250, 500 nationals. Then it was uh, half 250, half 500s. Now we have just two classes. What's been a rules like? What's been something that you've really thought uh, enhanced the racing? What's been something that you wish they would go back to? What's something you would change in the sport? Well, I, I like work, works bikes. Yeah. So I was kind of bummed on the production rule. Um, I just, to me, as before I even started working for Cycle News or being part of the industry, um, when I went to Carlsbad, USGP, or I went to Saddleback, or any of those nationals and stuff, half the battle was just getting up close to looking at the bikes. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I still do even now, but I mean, back then those bikes were just yeah. amazing to look at, and um, and I, I like that. I mean, I, I really kind of miss the works bikes. Um, I guess it's come around okay. You know, the, the obviously. Production rules have been around for a long, long time, and we're all used to it. And the bikes still look pretty neat, pretty cool now. They still look kind of works-ish with, mm-hmm. uh, with all the graphics because we didn't have the graphics back then. Um, so graphics now make the bikes look kind of works, works-like, so that's kind of cool. But I kind of miss, you know, the works bikes. I, I definitely miss that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I definitely miss 125 two-strokes and 252 strokes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, again, it's the sound. I just love the sound of high-revving engines. And you don't you get that a little bit with the 250 four uh, strokes, but not so much with the 450s, especially in Supercross. Outdoors, those guys kind of yeah. they get yeah. you know there's speed they and, they, right. and 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 they hit the rev limiter every now and then. But the two strokes, uh, I just I really really miss that. Um, I you know I I miss that. I don't miss the 500 two strokes too much because they they were getting to the point where they were kind of boring to watch because mm-hmm. you weren't they weren't being revved out that much. Um, so I, I wasn't too sad to see the 500 two-stroke go away, but uh, I, to me the 250 two-stroke was was just the ideal um, bike. Right. Uh, it was it, anybody can ride them. You, the fast guys can ride them. The slower guys, new guys could ride them. They were just that perfect in-between bike. They were light. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just the perfect bike, and I just it was just sad to see that that go. I just wish they. Uh, it changed the rules as soon as it, as soon as the 400 uh, came out. And Yamaha won the, the Supercross with it. It was like, okay, you know what? A 400 can win. Stop let's it! Yeah, the, yeah. Let's, let's just let's make the rules change now because because obviously we were going over you know the, we were going by rules that were designed a long long time ago. Right. And once that the, you know once it was proven that we hey we have the technology now to build a competitive four stroke. Right then and there, the rules should have been set changed and said, hey, you know. 400. Let's keep it at 400, and I thought it would have been so nice to have four strokes versus two, you know, two strokes on the track. Have both, but once once they got up to 425 and or um, 426, yeah, 426s, and then it went up to 450. Then the two, 252 stroke had no chance anymore, 
And I mean, uh, it was 550. You know, the rule was 550, and KTM had a 540. You know, uh, that's right. Stephen King that's and true. Cooper was on a 540. Like, come on. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and and we knew right away mm-hmm. that the technology was here, and we didn't, and and we just didn't make the rule change. Um, Ever, I guess I don't know. I'm not even sure where it is now. But I, but we we should have made the rule change right right then and said maybe made it a four four hundred or or maybe even a three fifty at that time right. and left it there because I think it would be it would be a blast to go to a Supercross race and see um, a four stroke and a two fifty be competitive to each other and you know the the two stroke would have its advantage the four stroke would have had its advantage and it would have been fun racing mm-hmm. and then but by by not changing the rule, and all of a sudden the four-stroke was able to go up to a 450, and, uh, and with all the new technology, then it just, you know, yeah. it just, you know, the 250 had no chance, and then everybody had to go to a 450 to stay competitive because you needed to get a good start, mm-hmm. and if you didn't get a good start, you weren't going to have a chance. So everybody had to go, you know, to the 450, and by then, you know. Yeah, the cat was out of the barn, or the, I, the cow was out of the barn, or whatever you, yeah. whatever that. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're not good bikes and i'm not saying that maybe they're not even better bikes but um i i think for racing and, and watching and 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 the cost to maintain them it was just a lot easier to deal with the, uh, the, the two strokes i do miss them fair to say that the so that the 85 honda works 250 was your trickest bike you've seen and dealt with and all that oh yeah, yeah. i think so i think you know, you know the Yamahas were cool, but I really like. I thought the Suzukis were always interesting because um, they had their they had that full floater suspension, and it was so good. And uh, they were they were they were uh, uh, they were kind of uh, front runners when it came to technology advances and stuff. So all those bikes were pretty neat. And then you know, Cowie had the I, I think the first single shock. Uh, bike, you know, for the Unitrack and stuff. So I, there was a lot of neat stuff, but yeah, probably the last ones it would definitely right. be the right. definitely be the Hondas for sure. Yeah, they had like a fuel pump on them and stuff, and a lower tank, and yes, yeah, Oh yeah. Um, I mean, um, yeah, you look at those bikes now, and they, 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 you think you can go out there and race them right now, and be, they'd be competitive. They look so trick. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, how'd you deal? How'd you get along with JMB? How was that? I had no problems with him. No, none. Yeah. No, he was he was always real talkative. Uh, to me and stuff, and um, was that just an I, MXA? I, was that just an MXA uh, uh, propaganda then? Because I, uh, you know, I've talked to a few people, and I always thought JMB was really difficult. But a few people would be like, "No, he's awesome. He's great." Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I don't remember ever having any problems with him at all. He, I mean, I, you know, he's obviously different in stuff, and in probably kind of standoffish a little bit, mm-hmm. but. But I don't ever really recall too many times where I didn't get an interview because he didn't want to talk or something like that. He always, you know, I think from what I remember, he always talked and and um, and, and uh, I think I saw him at a at a banquet in um, a while back, a few years ago, and he, mm-hmm. he was real friendly and stuff. And um, so, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I don't have. I don't really have anything bad to say about him. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did a podcast with him, one of these with him, and he was great. It was awesome. And then I talked to him at Bercy a bunch. He's yeah, great. I just yeah, I, I you know, feel the same way. You know, at the, um, at the time when he came over, I I thought, and I could be mistaken. I always thought he was painted as a guy that didn't, you know, he didn't speak English right away that good. So of course, right, there's that. But uh, but then he was, you know, rude and, and not friendly. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it was it was the language. Mm-hmm. was the language barrier because sometimes that happens you know they they'll talk with fewer words and maybe not pick the right words and then it comes across 
yeah. as uh, the wrong way. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think about it. What if I was in his shoes? You know, I'm I'm a, a foreigner coming over, and uh, I'm racing, and all I got to get used to a whole new lifestyle, new new people and stuff. You know, I might be kind of, you know, taking a step or two back, and maybe I might not come across. But there's other guys who have done that and and, and been the opposite and have come over and fit right in and been great. So. Yeah. Kind of depends on how you want to take it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Hey, what's a, what's a rider over the years that you've seen that, you know, never became a champion or never became the great rider that his talent indicated he would be? I'm always interested in this question with guys. You know, somebody who you watched and you're just like, man, that, that guy's got it all. And just for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Is there somebody that stuck out as a most talented guy you've seen and but yet, you know, not like a Jeremy or Ricky who who, who – won all that much man there's that's a that's, that's a good question too um that's i bring the questions that's what i do yeah i like that i write these things um down. i know that'll come to me as probably as, as i start talking and thinking you about know it, like 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 I, 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 you know a machine for example or you know somebody well, like that. yeah i agree i yeah probably to me would have been would have been bradshaw i thought yeah you know he i thought he would have could have done a lot more um so uh, I would, uh, he was probably one of the guys that probably comes to my mind the quickest. I mean, mm-hmm. he just, man, that guy had some talent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was just so fast, and I really enjoyed watching him, and, and so I thought we would have seen a lot more from how, him. How was he to deal with? Pardon me? I, he was another guy I really liked for yeah. some reason. I really enjoyed being around him. There were some times where, you know, he – didn't do well, and, and I, I think he would just not want to talk. And, and but at least he would say, "Hey, I don't want to talk right now," or something like that. And yeah. it's like, okay. And then eventually he would. But I think he was he was like a guy that you know you're at the race, and he was kind of you know he would have you could tell there was a lot of pressure on him. But then there were times where you know you're around him, and you're kind of got away from the racing and stuff, and then you can see that other side of him, and he mm-hmm. was kind of fun, and he was he was actually he had a good sense of humor, and and and. Um, and I, I enjoyed I, I enjoyed him a lot, but I, I didn't have too many too many problems with him. In fact, mm-hmm. I had to do an interview with him right when he was beginning to get really good. And I remember him going out of the way to make sure you know to make it happen. I mean, I had oh, to yeah. in a hotel, and he and he did this and he did that. So he was there. And once we hooked up, and he was just a friendly ass guy. And I'm like, you know, this isn't the Bradshaw that I've been been reading about myself. Right, right, so, right. right. Anyway, so I, I felt like he he was a good guy, and I would I wish I I think he could have obviously have done a lot more, mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah, no, uh, that's you're probably right. He won one 125 regional championship, and that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, he, he he threw rocks at MXA photographer one year. That's <laughs> kind of stuff that I I talked to him about one time. So I thought that'd be kind of a fun yeah, question. Yeah, I think I was I think I was at that race. I think I'm that was sure you were. I, th- I think that came out of frustration, you know, and yeah. you know, or, or whatever, and. So, but yeah, um, I don't think that helped them too much. Hey, what uh, what's the state of moto journalism now in 2011? Uh, you know, you've been doing it since '83. We've got message boards, we've got the internet, we got Twitter, we got riders twittering, tweeting their 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 stuff. Uh, you got jerkies like me doing things. What uh, what's the state of it now? Do you think? How, how is it? I think it's all right. I just think you know that all that stuff is good and. Um, just you have to find different ways of being, you know, entertaining. I guess, mm-hmm. you know, there's always ways of of making uh, to make a story that's entertaining for people to to read. You're not going to get everything out of Twitters and Facebooks and things like that. So, you know, I think there's there's I think it's fine. 
um, you just have to, uh, you know, come up with good stories and, and get them, you know, get people to talk or, or get get the stories that other people aren't, and and you can do that. Or even if they are, you're getting the same stories. Just make it, you know, get make it even better. Get more information out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's still ways of doing it, but you have to you have to be um, you have to be uh, accurate, and you have to be you can't make up stuff, and you can't just like throw things out there without researching it and make sure it's right. I mean, that's like sometimes you know, cycle news. We might not have you know something might break, but we could easily, you know, read or, or something from somebody and just throw it out there on our website and go, look, we have it. But sometimes we're like, you know, don't do that yet. Let's, let's right. go to the source and let's find this out before we put anything on our website because when we put it, something on our website or inside our magazine or whatever, mm-hmm. we want it to be accurate and we're not going to jump to any conclusions real quick. So, you know, there's, so if you need credibility and you can't just, like, throw stuff out there without following up and checking in on it. So... A lot of the stuff that gets, you know, sort of things that get thrown out there that just get thrown out there before it's been researched. So I think with Cycle News, we always want to research stuff before before we throw it out there and make sure the information is correct. And we kind of want to be the ones where, um, like, if it's reported somewhere, you know, we like to have people to come to, to, to Cycle News to verify it. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, I mean, I think there's, there, there's, there's I think it's, it's a fine time to be a, 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 journal, a journalist, and it's, it's, it's a good time. To be one. Yeah, no, it, uh, there's certainly a lot of competition, but at the same time, there's a lot of Oh, access. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you know, um, there's a lot of access to the guys and stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll hey, find a different way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, a different way of doing it, indeed, uh, Cycle News is going to be relaunched. Uh, when, when should we look for this uh, digital magazine-ish thing? Uh, probably towards the end of this month. Okay. That's kind of where we're shooting for. Right. We're, we're really close, and, and we have an idea. It's just we still have a lot of uh, – we got still got some – some, um, you know, some T's to cross and I's to dots. You know right. what I mean? And yep. just we we want it. We want to make sure that once we uh, launch it and get going again, that um, it's it's ready to go and we don't have too many surprises. Like, oh, what about this? What about that? Oh, we didn't think about this. Right. And so, uh, so that's we're just making sure everything's kind of kind of ready to go when it when it does. And like I said, we don't want any surprises. <laughs> so I, I, I'm thinking towards the end of the end of the month. And the best thing to do is just uh, kind of keep track of our uh, cycle news online, and uh, we'll you know post things. Uh, there's right now you can get online, and then uh, you can sign up to be on like the um, on the list. So when when the information does come out, you'll get the information and how how to go about getting it. Cyclenews.com or cyclenewsonline.com. Uh, cyclenews.com. Cyclenews.com. Yeah. Yeah, that's our our cyclenews online version. Uh, uh, a world then, a world without cycle news is not a world I want to live in. Kid. Yeah, especially me. <laughs> no, but I feel the same way because I grew up with it even before I was working here. I grew up with it too, and it's been with me my whole life. And I just hate to see it not be around either. Right. It's just uh, hey, it was time to make a change, and unfortunately, it, I guess it kind of had to go away first before we can make those changes. So yeah, you know, I a, think uh, there's that song, know. "Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone." That's that applies to Sackle News. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and we've had a lot of a lot of readers say that, and, and uh-huh. you know, we've had a lot of people go, "Man, I, you know, I, I, I it's like they kind of take it for they had taken it for granted for so long that it's right. always going to be there." And then I think, "Oh, you know, uh, times are a little tough right now. I'll, I'll subscribe next year and next year." And I think you know you get more and more of that, and then all of a sudden it's gone. It was like, "Whoa!" So a lot of these people are, have been have been calling us up, and they've been really, really 
really kind about it, and then they hey, you know, oh, man, I, you know, I wish I supported a little bit more, and when this one comes out, I'm going to be supporting it. We hear a lot of things like that, yeah. and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of good people, and, and, uh, and so we're anxious to get it going again. And you're like, hey, jerky, a little late now. Should have given us that, <laughs> that twenty four ninety five six months ago. But, um, yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, it's, it's just the way it was. It's just the way it went. And I think in the long run, it'll be this will all be for a, a good thing. Well, I got to say good. that uh, along with my uh, having keeping my back pages, Cycle News, where I wrote the back pages on. Also, uh, it's really cool to know that Kit Palmer is a friend of mine. That's also cool. So, um, <laughs> and vice versa. I, feel the same well, way. I don't know about that. I, I, <laughs> no, I do. Uh, but, uh, you know, a guy I've been reading since I was a child, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's really cool to have you you're still around and all that, you know? Um, well, thanks. And, uh, and thank you for doing this uh, BTOsports.com Racer X now podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're at Cycle News for um, um, 83 to now. How many years is that? 27? 27, I believe, yeah. Yeah, 27 years you're at Second Lose. I'm at uh, Racer X and Trans World and Racer X back again. So uh shows you what kind of guy I am. No, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I know that feeling. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's all good, man. It goes yeah. by really fast. It goes by really fast. Uh, but, th- yeah, thanks for doing this, man. Thank you for doing the uh, BTOsports.com Racer X podcast show. And I Absolutely. will see you at the races. And uh, welcome back, Cycle News, right? Well, thank you very much. I mean, it's great to be back, and uh, I just want to thank everybody who's supported Cycle News over the year, over the years, and uh, hope they can uh, continue because we're going to try to uh, give you uh, even a better product than before. So, uh, but you know, it's definitely my gratitude to, to all of them for sure. And hey, I can still contribute. That's part of my deal. Hey, so who we'll knows? Get you. We'll, we'll get you in there. We'll get you on the back page. I think uh, we're going to still be doing a back page, so right, right. we'll have to get you in there. Right on. Well, thanks, Kit, and uh, I'll see you this weekend. All right. That sounds good. Thank you, Steve, and uh, thank you very much. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show brought to you by Racer X. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take your money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX on the iTunes Store to enjoy these and many more great podcasts. I won't let this